Navigating the Storm, Episode 1, First Dates and Disabilities. Hi, I'm Anna Knight, a personal development coach and seasoned survivor of life storms. You can find me online at annanightcoach.com or over in my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. On this podcast, I speak to women and non-binary people about their real lives, their journey to where they are now, and the big issues they want to see change in the world. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although Glenn and Doyle, I'd love to have you on if you're listening, but they're people who've inspired me, excited me, or challenged me to think bigger and braver than I did before. Today, we're talking about two really personal stories, my own and my partner Mel's. Mel and I met two and a half years ago on a dating website. I opened with the immortal line, I'm a Ravenclaw, who's your doctor? And that was that, simple. Real life though isn't simple, and the start of our relationship was anything but. I brought a lot of baggage with me into the relationship. I have multiple disabilities, including systemic lupus erythematosus and fibromyalgia, and I was dealing with some pretty intense complex PTSD at the start of our relationship. I realised almost from the start that our journey was going to need some considered thought if we wanted something long term. Today I am interviewing my lovely fiancé, partner, Right-hand person, Mel. I thought I was your left-hand person. (laughs) So, Mel, tell (laughs) everyone who's listening a little bit about yourself. I'm a photographer. I do a lot of the technical expertise. Not so much on the podcast, but on your lives that you do and stuff like that. So, when we started dating... It was actually quite uh, unusual circumstances because I was on six weeks of bed rest at the time and had downloaded dating apps to give my brain something to do while my body wasn't able to do anything. How was hearing that side of it for you? At the time, I just remember you being a cute, cool, funny, interesting person to talk to. Like, that was the thing that I... Like, not that I didn't notice the other things, it's just... And was it ever worrying for you, like, what's it going to be like dating someone with disabilities? I don't think so. Like, I've always had mental health problems myself. I've always had health problems. Like, my mum's disabled. Her best friend has the same condition that you've had. And I grew up surrounded by people with disabilities who didn't like it hold them back. I remember that time thinking that it was like a really big thing that was holding me back that like would people want to date someone with disabilities? What would you think if I was like oh I can't do this or this and my kind of perception of what that would be like for you I think I made it into quite a big deal in my own head. It had no bearing on what I was thought of you it was just another part of you and the whole you is amazing and the things that you can do I don't want to say in spite of like 
the things you do even because of your disability are amazing and yeah like it's a lot of the challenges I've been through have shaped who I am as a coach and who I want to work with for sure yeah so you wouldn't be the you that I love if you didn't have a disability and it did come up quite early on in our relationship I think it was our second date that we'd had really specific plans to go fancy bowling and ended up me being too poorly and watching a movie instead. I don't know if you remember, there was a moment, like, I'd really built it up in my head to be, like, this big, scary, oh, my God, I'm cancelling plans. This is the first time of many times that I'm going to have to rearrange something that we were looking forward to. And when I told you, you were just like, okay, like, we'll do something different. Well, yeah, like... In that getting to know you phase, bowling wasn't the aim. It was getting to know you and spending time with you. Like, the setting was unimportant. Yeah. And what's been most challenging for you dating someone with chronic pain? Well, we spend quite a lot of money on painkillers. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Um, it just means that you have to know when you need a bath to help with your pain Mm -hmm. or when you need a cup of tea or like it's just an extra layer of things to think about but it's not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. like if you were not disabled I'd still want to do things to make you happy it just means that you have to anticipate things that you wouldn't otherwise so we can't do anything too intensive because it would tire us out and we can't do like 20 mile hikes. Not that I'd want to, <laughs> but like... Yeah, we stop somewhere around mile one. But yeah, it's being aware of that sometimes there are limits on what we do, but that is not necessarily a bad thing. Sitting down to rest for five minutes because we walked a little bit too far just means we get to appreciate the view. Yeah, and I think we've built quite a lot into day trips and stuff, I guess, of, like, if we've been walking and then we'll stop. It kind of built in, then that, that gives you an opportunity to take photos while I'm resting. And Yeah, because I think, like, me being a photographer means that we tend to... We've gone a lot of walks, but we tend to walk slower because I'm periodically stopping, which probably is better for you because you're not doing, like... Intense walks. Yeah, if we're constantly having little breaks, it's better than, like, an hour constant. What's the emotional impact on you when I'm having a bad pain day? I think it makes me sad sometimes, and sometimes it makes me angry, because I don't like seeing the woman in lo- that I'm in love with in pain. Like, I don't think anyone likes seeing that, and unfortunately... I have to see that more often than most. Mm -hmm. But I'd take a million bad pain days to get one good one with you. Mm. So one of the other things that came up quite early in our relationship was some of the more traumatic things that I've experienced in my past. How was it for you hearing about that part of my story? Obviously it wasn't fun. Like... Hearing that so many bad things have happened to you, kind of, yeah, it wasn't good. It sent me a little crazy for a little while because I couldn't understand how 
anyone did them things to you. Never mind multiple people. I mean, I, I, I don't understand how anyone does them things to anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, Again, that was another thing that I was really fearful to talk about, really kind of worried that it would seem too much for the other person. They would be put off by me telling them that. Was that the case? Yes, and that's why I'm here right now. (laughs) No, of course not. I remember the first time I was telling you that I loved you. And it was after we'd had quite a intense conversation about things that had happened. And you were crying, and I was crying. And (laughs) there were a lot of tears in those conversations. And I remember, like, being like, I don't know if this is the most appropriate moment. Say it for the first time. But I had to tell you. And, like, you telling me all the things that have happened to you just made me love you more. Because you'd been through all them things and you were still this amazing person who wanted to help other people who had been through the same things. Like... Some people don't make it out the other side and some people don't make it out. (laughs) So one of the things that we established quite early on in our relationship was what we've since called like the radical honesty policy of if there's something that you're worrying about or thinking about, just saying it rather than holding on to that worry. Yeah, because I don't think... Like, I don't think we ever wanted to become the couple where one of us would do something and not realise that it annoyed or irritated or hurt the other person and then the other person wouldn't say anything about it and then it would just, like, fester and then build up until you have, like, a massive argument and... Yeah, like, I think we're both conscious of wanting to to try something different rather than that kind of stewing in it. And I think as well, like particularly in the early days of our relationship, I was really hyper vigilant to your emotional state and trying to second guess the impact. So I'd say something and then I'd create a whole story about what I thought you thought about it. So it brought me quite a lot of calmness. It brought me a lot of relief knowing that we had this policy where I could just say what I was thinking and then get the the actual truth rather than creating my whole story about it. Yeah. And I think it's helped us in a lot of ways. I think it's been better for our mental health and for our relationship. And that's not to say we don't fight. Yeah. Because we do. Because <laughs> that's just life. Yeah. People get tired and cranky and hungry and cranky and in pain and cranky and mm-hmm. like those moments where your needs aren't met you're feeling a bit run down it's it's so easy to get a bit snappy in those moments yeah. and it's been quite uh, an interesting journey like over the two and a bit years of our relationship in that you've reassessed some of your friendships from the past and had some some realisations about them. What support did you want for that process? I mean, I think when I was going through it and having the realisation, it's like having... Because it was 
some of my best friends, the people who I thought I could tell anything to. But I couldn't obviously tell them what they were doing to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And having like conversations with you and, and going through some of the stuff and having realisations of like, oh, well, that's not okay. Oh, that actually like really hurt me. And having someone to talk to who wasn't not judgmental because you're not judgmental. And all, but like a sounding board, someone to mm-hmm. give advice. And I think, like, I'm wondering, like, is part is the word like validation, like when you've brought something to the light to look at it, having quite a neutral person to sound that off of, or actually, yeah, that's not okay, or no, that's the thing everyone does, and yeah, because I think there's. Unfortunately, in the world, people can get away with a lot of stuff because it's just universally accepted as that's a thing people do. But, like, talking to you and it's like, is this a thing that people do? Or is this a thing that's really not okay? And sometimes it can be both, right, of... It's a thing that a lot of people do, but actually if it crosses a personal boundary, it makes you feel unsafe. Yeah. Because, like, if someone's doing something to make you uncomfortable and then they're like, you say something to them about it and they're like, well, I do it with all my friends. They're all fine with it. And then you feel like you have to do it because... Well, it's gaslighting. Yeah. So... Gaslighting is that process where someone's telling you that what you believe to be true isn't true, making it can be things like saying that you've remembered something wrong or that you were wrong in how you processed the situation or something you thought happened didn't happen. And I think we've both experienced that kind of in different relationships, not just romantic relationships, friendships as well. And it can make you really mistrustful of your own recollections and your own interpretations. Yeah, because I think a lot of people think of emotional abuse as like a domestic abuse. Like it happens in a couple sort of thing, but it can... I don't think many people talk about the fact that your friends can do it to you too, because... Like, your friends are supposed to be the ones that are there for you if your partner's ab- <laughs> emotionally mm-hmm. abusing you. But if your friend is the one that's emotionally abusing you, who are you then supposed to go to? Yeah. And I think there's this idea of abuse, emotional abuse, being the put-downs, the telling you you're stupid or fat and ugly and blah, blah, blah. But actually, I think there's a lot more insidious sides to it that unless you're aware of it, you you don't think of it in that way. So the gaslighting and the being left out of things, which can seem like an oversight, but when it becomes a pattern and it gets to feel like it's about you, those sides of it are still as harmful as name-calling. But I they're so much harder to explain and I also think sometimes they're more harmful because if somebody's calling you names you can be like 
well, that hurts because they're calling me names. Like, they're calling me names is quite an obvious thing. Mm-hmm. But it sometimes it's just... They sneak it in in a way where it's... You don't notice. Mm-hmm. Like, the regular one with me is one of the people that was not nice to me. Used to shame me for liking TV shows or actresses or stuff. But it wasn't like they were going, oh, you shouldn't like this person, but like because they're horrible or anything like that. It was like, oh, I like this person. And they would be like, oh, but did you know they'd done this? And, you know, they seem like a really horrible person. And they don't make it as blunt as you should not like this person. What they do is make it so you feel bad if you do like the person. You're like, oh, well, if this person is such a horrible person, I shouldn't like this person. Like, that happened quite a lot to me. And and I think finding out that, that quite a lot of it wasn't even wasn't true. true. That Yeah, it's not just that you're out there going like, no, I want to like all these horrible people. A lot of the time they were just people. Yeah. And I think it was just like an an element of control mm-hmm. and I don't know if they had them views or they actually had them views or they were just messing with me or yeah like we've both experienced this it leaves you in a place where you don't actually know what views are yours and what views are theirs that you kind of we've talked a lot about you like saying you don't know if you don't like a person because you don't like them or because what of those things told. you've been told about them. Yeah. And, and I definitely have things like that around, not so much about being allowed to, to like things, but around my my own abilities. Like, I remember, um, actually, it was um, it was driving down from one of the retreats when I was doing or, like, starting off on my coaching journey and realising that I had a really strong self-limiting belief in my head that I couldn't drive long distances it just wasn't possible and yet I'd driven from the northeast down to Stratford-upon-Avon but I was still there going like oh I can't drive long distances and just seeing that disconnect between thinking I can't do the thing that I was literally doing at the time it really struck me of going like oh this isn't my belief this is someone else's voice in my head yeah so what helps you overcome that pattern I think the first thing is realising it was a pattern. For the longest time, I had no idea. And uh, I think just actually, like, feeling into it when you notice it's going on and talking to you, like, about the stuff I realise. Because I can be watching, like, a TV show or, like, a movie or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, I wasn't supposed to like that person. Like... Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested by what you just said there about, like, the feeling into it. Like, that personal growth does involve a lot of feeling into something uncomfortable and being okay enough to stay with it and see what's there. It's scary. Yeah. Like, it's uncomfortable because it's something that you don't want to look at. But equally, if you never look at it, then you don't... uh, I don't want to say fix. um, Move past? Yeah. Like, you'd, you'll never move past it if you don't look at it and examine it. Mm-hmm. You'll just sort of... It'll be the elephant in the room just sort of 
bright pink, but no one's talking about it. <laughs> so, what's the best part about dating a life coach? I get free life coaching. <laughs> like, I think the thing is, it's... I've learned a lot of the stuff from osmosis. Like, because we have talked things through and we have used some of your tools, but you, you've never, like, actually coached me because that would be... Yeah, I, I'm a little too invested in the results to do that. Yeah, be unethical. <laughs> but I think it means that we're more aware of the things that could be underlying stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, are you angry because you're actually angry? Or are you angry because you're tired because you haven't had enough people time? Mm-hmm. So we have like a shared vocabulary of stuff that yeah we can work through problems with. Yeah, and you've talked about a lot of the coaching that you've had and talked me through some of the things and I'm a naturally curious person so I've been like, tell me some of the stuff! (laughs) Okay, next question. What's the worst part about dating a life coach? I think it's sometimes when I'm stressed out and stuff and I'm like, no, just let me be stressed out! Like, I don't want it to be a reason, just let me be stressed out! (laughs) (laughs) like sometimes I don't want it I I, I don't want us to analyse the emotion I just want to beat the emotion (laughs) did you know that? I figured that would be (laughs) your (laughs) the other thing that I kind of wanted to, to ask you about is like over the past year you've been on a bit of a health journey yourself so obviously we talked at the start about what it's like coming into a relationship with pre-existing health conditions what's that journey been like for you of going from the person who saw themselves as healthy to recognizing that you've got some kind of chronic fatigue pain based thing going on at the moment yeah I think because I never saw myself as like healthy Mm -hmm. I was all right (laughs) like like I had mental health problems I was overweight but I didn't spend most of my time in pain and I was able to do a lot of stuff and have moderate to high amounts of energy Mm -hmm. and then slowly I've had this mystery fatigue muscle spasm pain illness that we're still trying to figure out it was weird going from being the person who was like oh i'll run the bath and i'll make the hot water bottle and i'll go get the painkillers and blah blah blah, to then being the one on the receiving end of that because your illness hasn't changed you still have lupus (laughs) like (laughs) it is true i have not got rid of that lupus along the way so in my head, you're like, it's like, well, you need the same amount of help as... As before. As before. And now I'm not able to provide as much help. And now you're in the position of, you now have to help me on top of everything you were doing before. It's... I mean, you know, it's been... and still is extremely hard for me to deal with. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, I should... Just be well. Because <laughs> I think I had it in my head like, oh, well, I'm the okay one, so I'll shoulder the burden of the <laughs> the care. Not that you never cared for me, because you 
you did a lot for my mm-hmm. mental health when it was bad. But... It's been like a little shake-up of roles and who does what, hasn't it? Yeah. Because at the moment, and I, it, things are improving, but I am require, <laughs> requiring more help than than you at the moment. And one of the conversations we've had quite a lot about that isn't, is that across the course of a relationship, there isn't that idea of one person always helps and one person always receives. Like it, it flows between different needs and... While there are times where if I'm flaring, I do need more help. Actually, if I'm not flaring or if I'm having a kind of a a low-grade flare that's not like a big bed rest kind of time, I have more capacity to support you with. And I think we've the last kind of six months have been a lot of practicing that flow between the two roles. Yeah, because I can't remember what I was watching. It might have been something you showed me. It's kind of like, if the relationship is like 100% of a relationship, there's the thing where it's kind of like, one person should give 50% and one person should give 50% and... Oh, the, it's a Brené Brown yeah, concept. Where it was like, but if somebody only has 10%, then it's not that the other person has to do 90% because the other person might only have 10%. You just get 10% done, like 20% done. Yeah, and having a plan for what to do when you have that gap in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a really... I think that was a really helpful concept when we found out about it, of like, it's not that if someone's at 10%, the other person has to push to 90%. It's going, okay, well, if you're at 10% and I'm at 25%, I can do a little bit more than you. But these are the things that are less important, that aren't essential. We'll park them for a while and focus on getting needs met and replenishment. And Yeah, like if we if we only have 10% each, as long as we are fed, watered and... Painkillered. Yeah, and manage to pay the bills, then we're good. Yeah. And on the days when we have more percentage, we can do more stuff. Yeah. What was it, has it been like for you since I got sick? Because, like, in our relationship, you always had a disability. Yeah, that's a good question. And obviously in your previous relationship, you was the one that became disabled. Yeah. But, like, how is it for you on the the other side of that? I think I've been really conscious of wanting things to go a different way for you than they went for me so I think I've been quite mindful of being really clear up front about things like resting is an activity not a failure and that while you can do something if you push through you don't have to do it if there's another option it was I started to get sick when I was like 17 but my flares were a lot further apart for quite a long time and then it's about kind of seven years ago now that like the lupus really kicked in with a vengeance and then it was another year and a bit 18 months until I actually got a diagnosis that there was a lot in that time that I 
I was drawing on stuff from my childhood about what it meant to be sick. I was drawing on the messages that I was hearing from all the people around me. And I did push through way more than I should have done. Like that, trying to fake being a healthy person and just collapsing in private when I went to sleep every night. That was a really unhealthy pattern for me. And I think it accelerated the course of my lupus because I was almost trying to prove people wrong, like prove that I could do everything. And so I guess from my perspective, kind of having been through that and knowing what I know, I wanted you to have a different experience of that. So I don't think, like, for the first little bit, I don't think I was even considering the emotional impact on me. I think I was considering how I could apply what I'd learned to make things easier for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I think that's why I do a lot of the coaching that I do, that, like, there's things in the past that weren't my fault necessarily I didn't bring them on myself but how I responded to them and the meaning that I made from them changed the course of how my life went and for a long time I was making quite a lot of choices that were not authentic to me I was making choices to be what I thought a good woman like in hypothetical air quotes should be and it took me like like I'm still unlearning some of that stuff now like I had a realization yesterday and I was like oh that stuff from my childhood popping up there like wasn't expecting that like I don't think you're ever done on this process like some of the really amazing coaches that I've had that I look up to are still working on themselves they're still going through the process because I think if you ever meet a coach who says they're done like they've nailed it it makes me a little bit suspicious like I'm always a bit like really or you just got a blind spot to some stuff yeah it feels like "Mm, you may be ignoring some stuff (laughs) yeah (laughs) pretending it doesn't exist but what I really wanted to to do is to take my story and these things that I'd learned and help other people have a different journey than I did. Yeah. And I do that like with the clients that I work with, but I think that also spills over into my personal relationships that like I wanted you to have a different route through finding out you had some kind of chronic thing that we still don't have a name for. That I've wanted I've changed how I am with friends to be more open and authentic earlier on so that it kind of takes away that feeling of like waiting for them to realize who I actually am and react to that because if I just put it out there up front and sometimes that's terrifying like not gonna lie sometimes that can still feel really hard but if I can take the lessons that I've learned and help use them to make other people make sense of life that feels like a healthier response for me than sitting and hoarding all the knowledge (laughs) no it's all mine it's all mine (laughs) (laughs) well thank you very much for coming on my podcast for being my very first guest how's the experience been been good when do i get paid (laughs) oh babe (laughs) thank you and for letting me 
ask you some probing questions. Thanks yeah. for bringing some probing questions of your own as well. At the end of every interview, you got to ask some questions back. I was, <laughs> I did many a course on interview skills. I mean, they were for jobs, not just interviews for a podcast, but still works. Yeah. <laughs> We covered who we are, dating with disabilities, emotional abuse, and what happens when your partner gets sick. Not bad for episode one. If either of our stories resonated with you, I'm always up for a chat. Every week I have some slots free in my diary to have conversations with people who need an ear and people who are ready for change. You can come to annanightcoach.com to book yourself in. Alternatively, you could join us over on Facebook in our group, Port in the Storm. We welcome all women and non-binary people who want to learn how to navigate life's challenges with strength, ease and energy. Your challenges could be massive, or they could be just a million tiny issues. It might feel like all you can do today is survive, and other days you might feel all fired up to make a change. Port in the Storm's here for you, no matter where you're at. We'll help you handle the hard stuff, and change the things you refuse to accept anymore. You'll get a network of lovely and loving people, friendly ears when you need to unload, and practical strategies to take control of your own life. Whatever you've been through, wherever you are, and no matter where you want to go, we've got your back. week we'll be talking to my friend Jen Lamarinell. Jen went from being a wild-hearted child to a businesswoman in a very shiny suit all the way back around again to her current life as a wild guide coach and adventurer. Jen and I will be talking about life-shaking changes, how to recognize when you've been stopped in your tracks and how to recreate a life that you might never have dreamed on or go back to old dreams and turn them into new passions. We hope you'll join us. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight. It's produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson. Mm-hmm.